This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hockey Central. It's the first show of 2023. I hope everybody had a great holiday. If you got some time off, you got a couple days, you got a week, whatever it may have been. I was off for a couple days. Feeling a little refreshed. Hope everyone had a nice New Year's. What about you guys? But I'm at the point where I never do anything on New Year's Eve. It's not a thing for me. Um, there's too many people out. And uh, I don't know. I like things a little bit more quiet. So I'm a big, more of a relaxing person. New Year's Day was odd. So one of the things we're going to talk about, just briefly off the top, Winter Classic was on Monday. And we talked about how stale it's become. I actually enjoyed watching it yesterday, but it was messing me up that it wasn't on New Year's Day. So I think if we want the Winter Classic to be successful, I say we, I maybe mean the NHL. I feel like that's an event that needs to be on New Year's Day. And the only thing that's on the NHL schedule, and maybe it's because I was watching it yesterday afternoon. I kept thinking it was the first. I kept thinking it was the weekend. I don't know. Messed me up. But the Winter Classic was on Monday afternoon. Um, The game was not great. The first two periods were quite dull. And then the Boston Bruins, kind of as expected, come back. It's Jake DeBrusque who gets the two goals for the Bruins in the third period to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have had issues in recent weeks, recent games, holding on to leads, closing out games. And then it was Jake DeBrusque who did it. It's great. I mean, you know, just a year ago. He was requesting a trade. The Bruins didn't do it. And uh, and he's the big game winner. And he's been great since not getting traded. He's been been great fitting in right along that top line with Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron in Boston. I thought the game looked great um, from my standpoint. I wasn't there. But looking at the the scenes at Fenway, nearly 40,000 fans there, the, the Green Monster, everything looked awesome. Uh, the jerseys, which I thought were not I didn't like the Winter Classic jerseys when I saw them posted on Twitter. I didn't like the renderings of the jerseys, I guess I should say. And then I saw them on the ice and I got it. I liked the uniforms. I thought everyone looked really crisp. Things popped. The game wasn't great, uh, but everything looked awesome. I think the Winter Classic has become more about the fans who are there. And I shouldn't say has become. I think it's always been about the fans who are there, the city in which it's being hosted in. You know, you get to celebrate the city and in the history. I mean, yesterday you see Bobby Orr at the game and some Red Sox legends. The the Bruins come out in the, you know, old school Red Sox uniforms. That's really cool. Um, And speaking of the outdoor games, the league announced on Saturday that the Flames and Oilers will participate in the 2023 Heritage Classic. That'll be at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. I think that'll be fun. I like a Battle of Alberta. I like an outdoor game again. I know we talk about how stale these have become. There's so many of them now. I don't mind them. I think they're fun. I'm sure it's really fun to be there. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Flames fans who go down to Edmonton for this game. Lots of Oilers fans who show up for that game. I think it's going to be really fun. I think the jerseys will be fun. I think there's lots of options. I'm excited to see what the Flames and Oilers do there. Um, The one thing I will say, and maybe this is me not being a huge, um, you know, I didn't grow up in Edmonton. I didn't grow up in Edmonton going to CFL games. So maybe this is part of it. Um, I wish that we would find consistently, you know, destinations 
that are like iconic for these kind of things. I know it's a lot to ask to consistently have these at, at an iconic venue like Fenway. Um, but I thought that was part of what made yesterday's Winter Classic so fun to watch and probably so special for a lot of the players. And, and we're talking about players and coaches, people who've been involved in three, four Winter Classics. Um, they played in, you know, five outdoor games in their career already. Um, but they're still talking about how amazing it was. And it was unbelievable experience and so cool. And a lot of it was because it was at Fenway Park. So I think that's maybe a bit of a, a recipe to follow in the future is you got to find these venues with cool connections. I mean, even Mike Sullivan, who's coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, he grew up in the Boston area. He grew up going to Red Sox games. He was captain at Boston University. He coached the Bruins from 2003 to 2005. He was actually Patrice Bergeron's first ever NHL coach, interestingly enough. But you find little connections and things that make these games special for people. Um, and maybe there are going to be people who are at the game that find playing at Commonwealth or sitting at Commonwealth and watching game really special. But sometimes I wish we would find, you know, I wish it was at Lake Louise. That was my long-winded answer of saying, like, why isn't this game at Lake Louise or, you know, in Kananaskis or Lake Minnewanka or wherever people go and play shinny. I know that's going to be way harder to do in, in practice, but that's my long-winded way of saying, I wish this game was, was at Lake Louise. We'll see if that ever happens. It is a Flames game day. Uh, Flames playing against the Winnipeg Jets at the Saddle Dome tonight, or not at the Saddle Dome. Uh, puck drop at six, pregame at five with Pat Steinberg and Pete Labardius. It's the first game of 2023. Jacob Markstrom's your projected starter. Redeem Zahorna is replacing Brett Ritchie at forward, and Connor Hellebuck is expected to start this game. Um, we're going to tee up that matchup a little bit more with Ken Weeb. He is a contributor for Sportsnet.ca, covers the Winnipeg Jets. He's going to join us later on in the hour. But first, we're going to talk to Scott Wheeler. He's a national prospect writer at The Athletic. We last spoke to Scott after day one of the World Junior Championships. The quarterfinal was last night. The semis are tomorrow. We're going to go through all that with Scott. Team Canada beat Slovakia 4-3 in an overtime thriller last night. Connor Bedard scored the game winner. He continues to make history at this tournament. With two goals and one assist on Monday night, Bedard now holds the following records at the World Juniors. Most points by a Canadian all-time with 34. Most goals by a Canadian all-time with 16. Most points in a single tournament by an under-18 player, 21. So with all that, let's go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Bring in Scott Wheeler. Scott, we're just going to talk about Connor Bedard, aren't we? It seems to be the way that's trending. They trot out people at the media avails every day here. And I've got colleagues who have to write daily stories, whether it's Kevin McGrann or Josh Clipperton for the CP. And they've literally written about Connor Bedard five or six times in seven or eight days or whatever it's been. So it just doesn't stop. He just keeps doing his thing. He keeps being the story of the night, the best player on the ice. It's just head and shoulders above everybody and almost unbelievable considering his age. He's not just draft eligible, but a summer birthday in his draft and one of the youngest players in his draft, no less. So uh, truly history that we've witnessed over the last week here in Halifax. Yeah, it's been incredible to watch. I think he's one of those players where I think we talk a lot about, and you know, I say we, I don't mean me and you. Um, I just think sometimes that word generational is thrown out there very loosely. Mm -hmm. Um, or players are compared way too soon to the Crosbys or McDavid's or whatever it may be. 
I don't remember, like, there was a lot of hype around guys like Alexi Lafreniere. There's been so much hype thrown at prospects who do great in junior and do great at the World Junior Championships. I feel like we're watching Connor Bedard, and everyone's throwing that hype at him, and it is, you know, I don't think anyone's going to poke holes in it. Like, we are watching, you know, somebody who somebody who deserves these kind of generational designations. Am I right, or am I way off here? No, you're you're absolutely right. I've been doing this. This is my 10th draft. 2023 will be my 10th draft. 2014 was the first draft I ever sort of covered full-time. And outside of McDavid in 2015, this is the best young player I've ever watched. It's it's really that simple. As, uh, as great as some of the kids in between have been, including Austin Matthews, uh, he is he is more talented at this stage than than any non McDavid young player I've ever watched. He's better than Jack Hughes was. He's better than Alexi Lafreniere was. He's better than Owen Power was. Nico Hiche, you name the guy. Uh, it's and I'm really I don't even think it's close relative to all of those names, including Matthews. Matthews was a great player at this age, and everybody knew he was trending towards being a, a sort of true true star. But you didn't watch him and sort of have your jaw on the floor while you were watching him. And that's what watching Connor Bedard has become here. So uh, it's, it's unbelievable. The way, the way he, obviously, the way he shoots the puck is special, kind of singular, uh, outside of maybe Cole Caulfield that's come through. Obviously, Patrick Wyne had a pretty special shot as well. Uh, probably the, the most talented shooter I've ever seen at this age. Uh, but even beyond that, the competitiveness, the determination, the way he's played through checks, rising to the physical challenge, planting himself in front of the net, uh, the beating he takes on a nightly basis that he pushes through, uh, and then the playmaking. I think it's almost underrated, and it's hard to say that because he just makes passes that nobody else makes in this tournament or at this level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it still feels like we almost haven't given enough attention to his ability to pass the puck as well. And uh, just the things he sees, it's, it's been, it's been a treat. So I can't wait to see what he does tomorrow against the U S this is the best opponent he's played at this tournament. Uh, They didn't have to go through the U S in the the summer world juniors when they won gold. Uh, And now of course they do. and, And tomorrow really almost feels like the gold medal game. Oh, yeah. I think a big Canada-USA matchup, even if it's at the junior level, is something that people have been waiting for <laughs> for for a while. I mean, we talk about that with the senior level. and We see it in the women's big Canada-USA. We'll tee that up a little bit uh, later in this conversation because I want to stick with Bedard with you. I think the one thing that stuck with me yesterday was that was not the beginning of a shift when he scored that OT winner, right? Like he'd been out there for no, a little bit and then he's going like yeah. left to right, deking, like cutting through three, like three um, Slovakian players as if he had just gotten out there. I mean, this is remarkable to watch. And it seems like, like where do we need to temper expectations or maybe we don't when it comes to a player like this translating to the NHL level? Cause it just seems like he has the ability to, to shoot. As you said, I mean, he's got a quick, almost deceptive release. It's very, very accurate. He's a good passer. We saw those passing plays he made on the power play um, in Canada's second game of this tournament. And he's got that clutch gene. So do we need to like take a step back and and chill out in terms of, you know, some of the takes we're seeing of like put this guy on any NHL power play and he's scoring tomorrow? Or is this a player who could legitimately translate to the NHL level as soon as next season? 
I've had that exact conversation with a few scouts here in Halifax over the course of this week, and I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that they believe that he's going to step in and immediately be the, if not the most talented player on his team, then the second or third. And he's capable of, I don't think anybody thinks that 35, 35, 70, kind of 35 goals, 35 assists, and 70 points is out of the question for him. And it's been a long time since we've seen a rookie do that. So uh, that would be, that would be special. We never even got to see that really out of McDavid because of his injury. So uh, if he were to come into the league and be point per game or close next year, that would be a a pretty amazing thing for the league. And I think it's, it's possible. Obviously there's a lot that has to go into that, right? The line mates, Mm -hmm. the team that drafts him will determine the kind of talent that's around him. Some teams that are potentially going to be in that range have a lot more to, to support him and uh, power play and luck and shooting percentage and health and all of that's going to come into the conversation. But uh, in terms of the talent, it, it's there. And the scouts here in Halifax think that he can play center too. He's playing wing in this tournament, but there are a lot of folks that believe because of how strong he is. And you can see it when you run into him off the ice, he's got that sort of Sidney Crosby, Martin St. Louis, that sort of freakish lower body with his legs. Right. Uh, he's a, a, by all accounts, <laughs> a, <laughs> by all accounts, according to, uh, according to people in, in Regina, he's an absolute monster in the gym. Uh, so despite the fact that he's kind of five, nine, five, 10, I think everybody thinks that he might well be a center as well, which would be huge. So, uh, it's it's really that's the only question with him I think at this point is what position does he play and is it the sort of two-way center can he be that uh, or is he just that sort of super scorer on the wing right I find myself asking every time we watch Connor Bedard do what he's doing at this tournament like why are the Arizona Coyotes winning hockey games right now like, when are we going to see these teams just, like, completely commit to the tank when they watch? Co- like, how are you going out and trying? How, why are the Coyotes going and trying to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs after Connor Bedard has seven-point game? I don't know. doesn't seem well, like the right valid, move for me. <laughs> it's a valid question, I think. And we know that Chicago is actively doing that and are going to yes. try to, to even further that pursuit. Uh, so I think Chicago's in that conversation. Columbus has kind of fell backwards into it. Uh, in part because they weren't as good as they probably thought they were, and in part because they've had such terrible injury luck in Columbus this year. But it could be Columbus, it could be Chicago, it could be Anaheim with his buddy Mason McTavish from the World Juniors in the summer. So uh, I think there are a lot of different directions, and who knows what what's going to happen with Vancouver and whether him going home is a potential possibility if they continue to sort of bottom out this season. So uh, I can't wait to see the lottery. I think this lottery is going to be filled with an incredible amount of tension for all of the fan bases and teams involved. Uh, And the gap between him and the field has really widened. There was talk coming into this of, Oh, could Adam Fantilli begin to shrink the gap? And I think it's crystal clear now that uh, there's a 0% chance of that happening. So uh, it's, it's truly exclusively the Connor Bedard sweepstakes at this point. Covering a lottery when you're, covering a team that is you know desperate to win it you know I was covering the Ottawa Senators when they had two picks that landed in the top five and it still felt like a loss for them because they got three and five 
uh, but they wanted number one because they wanted Alexi Lafreniere. Um, and obviously, Alexi hasn't translated to the NHL with the Rangers, as most people would have expected. And maybe the Senators ended up getting two of the best players in that draft in Tim Stutzla and Jake Sanderson. So you never know what's going to happen. But this doesn't feel like one where the best player in the draft is going to be someone who they someone, you know picked at number five. Um, it seems like it's going to be Bedard all the way, as you said. I want to look at the game last night, you know, zoom back out out of the, the Bedard conversation. Did you think at one point, legitimately, like did you hit a moment where you were like, Canada's going to lose this game? Absolutely. Absolutely. There were multiple moments in that game where I thought Canada was going to lose this game. Uh, it, there was no cheering in the press box. We have people always talk, ask that question. There was no cheering in the press box, but there were audible gasps coming from the reporters uh, in the press box last night just watching that game whether it was Tyson Hines diving behind his goalie and batting a puck out of the air with his hand or Thomas Millich making a ridiculous stretch glove save to save the game in overtime Uh, they were pushing they were pushing hard and there were moments in that game where despite the whatever it was almost 60 shots that Canada put on goal there were moments in that game for three, four minute stretches where they were hemmed in and it was a tie game or a one goal game. And it just felt like Slovakia was going to come back and tie it. And that's what makes the world juniors so beautiful for me is just the, the that constant ebb and flow, the, these kids crumbling under pressure in ways that Stanley cup veterans don't uh, the back and forth, the lead changes, the momentum, they're playing on a stage that they've never played on before, not even close. And it was just ridiculously loud at the Scotiabank Center here. And all of that just fuels this. It fuels mistakes. It fuels Brant Clark sprinting across the ice like an idiot. And he admitted that today with his helmet <laughs> off to, to take a penalty that nobody should be taking on that stage. So uh, that's, what, that's what this tournament is. I think that's what makes it so exciting. And I fully expect that we're going to have more moments like that tomorrow in Canada, U.S. Do you think, you know, you mentioned Thomas Millich. Has he kind of solved what maybe looked like a goalie problem at the start of this tournament? And I mean that when we looked at game one where they lose to Czechia and everyone's wondering, oh gosh, what are we going to do in between the pipes? Has he kind of come in and said, yeah, don't worry, there's no question on the guy? Yeah, definitely. And credit to him because Ben Godreau, uh, this was the tandem that they had at U18s in Texas when they won gold. And Ben Godreau was the guy there. Uh, and I think they wanted him to be the guy just because he had that gold medal game experience. And Canada, because of uh, the way that the, the schedule is set up in the CHL, Canada almost never ices a competitive uh, team at U18 Worlds. It's an event that's been dominated by the U.S. And because of the pandemic, they got to have that group together and actually won a, a rare gold at that event. And Godreau was was excellent in that tournament, truly, truly excellent, but has really, really struggled basically ever since then. Uh, and I think they were just kind of fingers crossed that he'd find his form at the right time and that he had that experience. And I think what's become clear is that Milic is just the, the better goaltender. I think that was clear last year in Seattle with his play. He led Seattle nearly to the WHL title. Uh, and despite the fact that he's kind of smaller, six foot, six foot one, I think those listings are generous for him. He's just a, a very, very talented goalie and someone who might get drafted as an overager this year. So uh, really just impressed by him. He, he battles in the net. He's quick. He's made some huge, huge saves. Despite giving up three goals on whatever it was, 20-something shots last night, 
he was much better than a 900 save percentage. He made seven or eight huge, huge saves in that game, and it could have gone the other direction without him. So they've definitely found their guy. There was no clear-cut number one goalie for any of the teams in this tournament coming in, really. There was no Spencer Knight or Yaroslav Askarov or Jesper Wallstedt, no sort of star prospect like we've seen in recent years. Uh, and now it's wide open for goaltender of the tournament, especially now that the Slovaks are out and it's unlikely that Adam Guyon, who was brilliant for them, is going to win without going to the semifinals. So uh, the, he, he could be, if he continues playing well, he could be the, the goaltender of the tournament if he keeps it up. What do you make of Adam Fantilli so far through this tournament? I think there was maybe some questions early on. He seemed to struggle in that first game, gets dropped down to the third line in that bottom six role. He's been playing fine in this tournament. Is he doing anything that's particularly impressed you? Is he hurting his draft stock in this tournament? Or is this just people maybe comparing him a little bit too much to, to Connor Bedard, who's doing you know historic stuff at this tournament? Yeah, it's a tough situation for him to be in. They trot him out uh, with everybody else, and they all must be tired. They would never tell us as much, but they all must be tired, including Shane Wright and everybody else who's been asked 10 different ways about what's so impressive about Connor Bedard. And it's got to be particularly tough for him because he he's a prideful guy, I'm sure, and he wants to be the number one pick in this draft. And he's having a historic season in the NCAA in his own right. And is doing things that we haven't seen done since Jack Eichel ahead of the 2015 draft in college hockey. So uh, it's, I'm sure, been a difficult tournament for him. He started on the second line, then he was on the third line. Now he's found a comfortable position on the fourth line where I actually think he's played better because it has allowed him to just play a four-checking game. And because of how big he is and how fast he is, he's an absolutely incredible skater for six foot two, six foot three. Uh, he just gets to get after it on the forecheck and play more of a heavy style, and he doesn't have to be making skill plays and scoring big goals. And uh, it, it, I think it's almost been good for him. He's, he's, I've liked what I've seen out of him in the last couple of games. But it, this tournament has definitely underscored the gap between Bedard and, and Santilli, and uh, maybe it has also raised a question about whether a guy like Leo Carlson, who scored two huge goals for Sweden yesterday to basically carry them to a victory over Finland, Maybe Leo enters into the conversation at, at second or third overall with Fantilli. So uh, that that's definitely been a storyline here. It's been a talking point. I don't think he's played poorly. He's He forced it early on for sure that first game. He made a couple of sort of boneheaded uh, defensive mistakes that, that cost Canada against the Czech Republic in that loss. And then I think he's tried to simplify as a result since then sort of everything in his game and just hasn't looked like the extremely talented player that he is in his own right. So as I mentioned at the top, we last spoke to you after day one of the tournament. Canada was coming off a loss to Czechia then. They get the overtime thriller, the the big win against Slovakia yesterday. Now we've got the the Team USA matchup in the semifinals. What have we learned about Canada since the last time we talked to you and heading into this semifinal matchup? Oh, we've learned a lot. They they look much different now than they did. Certainly coming in, there was all this hype about this being a historically talented Team Canada. And I don't think it has quite looked like that, actually. Uh, outside of Bedard, uh, everybody else sort of around him has been good, but there hasn't been someone who's become sort of a true star. I don't think we've seen the best out of Olin Zellweger, who is their number one defenseman. I certainly don't think we've seen the best out of Shane Wright, who, uh, uh, even Dylan Genther, uh, two kids who have played in the NHL this year. Uh, Wright and Genther have been good on a line together, but they've done all of their scoring 
literally all of their seven or whatever points that they have each has been on the power play exclusively. Uh, so it, it's kind of just been Logan Stankoven, who's a true horse for this team and uh, one of the most entertaining prospects in hockey to watch right now as a five foot eight guy who plays like he's 200 pounds. Uh, but outside of outside of that duo of Stankoven and Bedard, there's been something missing in this team. They haven't quite got this the secondary scoring and their their bottom six, which they built to be big and heavy, just hasn't quite overwhelmed teams. Uh, certainly, Germany and Austria is one thing, but uh, they they didn't really control play last night, despite the shots on goal uh, being as lopsided as they were against Slovakia. So. It's going to be interesting because this this Team USA is is good, legitimately good. That top line of Logan Cooley, Jimmy Snuggerud, and Cutter Gauthier is the best line in the tournament, other than the Bedard line, maybe. Uh, they've been unbelievable. Uh, they played together at the national program all the way up as a trio, and they're now reunited here, and it's been really, really fun to watch. Uh, and then Luke Hughes can play 30 minutes in a game, and Canada doesn't really have a defenseman that can do that. And They've got excellent goaltending out of draft-eligible goalie Trey Augustine as well. So it's not going to be a, a, a walk for, for Canada tomorrow. That USA team is, is a real threat, and it'll be interesting to see how they match up, especially defensively, because Canada's blue line after Owen Zellweger, all six of their other defensemen that they have have, have some warts and can, can get exposed in their own ways. So uh, that, if anything, I think could be Canada's undoing it. They really get after Canada's D. I think they might have trouble against some sort of pace and skill that they haven't seen yet. So you've been at the World Juniors for the last, I guess, week or so now. You were at the selection camp. You've been around Team Canada. You've been around a lot of these teams for, you know, for a large chunk of time. Is there anything else that's been a major storyline while you've been at the World Juniors, Scott, before we let you go? Because seems like there's a lot of different things to dig into. This has been a really interesting tournament so far, you know, not just about Canada and Connor Bedard. The Czechs really have been the the story of the tournament for me. Uh, they are, they are scary. I would not want to play them uh, no matter which team you are. Obviously Canada lost to them and that's one thing, but they've been the better team in every game they've played in this tournament. And we haven't said that about the Czechs in a long, long, long time. So uh, they've been truly, truly impressive. They, on defense, uh, they could have both of the defensemen that make the media all-star team in this tournament. Uh, it's been incredible to watch uh, David Yerichek and uh, that that entire group on that blue line. David Yerichek is obviously the sixth overall pick from last year's draft to Columbus. Uh, and then up front, Yuri Kulich is a true star. He was a, one of three first-round picks. Uh, for for the Buffalo Sabres in last year's draft, and he was the third of those picked, but might be the best player of the three. Uh, Coolidge is an absolute force at this level. He's just bigger and stronger than everybody else. He's got an incredible shot. Uh, so they, they've got two of the best defensemen in the tournament, one of the best forwards in the tournament. Thomas Sukonik, their goalie, might be the best goalie in the tournament. Uh, they're they're a very very difficult play to, team to play against, and Hockey Canada brass have told me to to a man that they're also extremely heavy and big and they match up well with Canada that way. So I actually like them to beat Sweden tomorrow. I think there's a really good chance the Czechs beat Sweden tomorrow and get to play for, for gold and silver. And that could potentially, if, if Canada plays well, set up a, a Canada-Chechia rematch, which would be great for the tournament. Okay. I mean, do you have a prediction for Canada-USA? Who's going who's gonna to meet 
Czechia in the the gold medal game, Scott, in your opinion? I'll I'll go Canada. (laughs) I I think Connor's going to create another big moment tomorrow, and some of their other guys are due. And as long as they can stay out of the penalty box and get good goaltending from Thomas Milich, I think they're the the slightly more complete sort of well-rounded team. All right. Well, thank you so much for the time, Scott. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the tournament, and we'll see if your predictions come true tomorrow after the semifinals. Thanks, pal. All right. There goes Scott Wheeler. He's a national writer at The Athletic, does a great job covering prospects, covering the World Juniors, the draft, the draft lottery, et cetera. He's kind of been our World Junior correspondent through this tournament. Uh, And that conversation was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. You can come on in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza, 403-248-33. 44. Um, I don't know. Tomorrow's going to be a great game. I think there's going to be two great games in the semifinals. Let me know in the text line, 960-960. Do you have a prediction for the World Junior Championship semifinal between Team Canada and Team USA? Um, You know, found this one stat here. The U.S. has won six of the last nine meetings between Canada and the U.S. at the World Junior Championship and each of the last three meetings in the playoff rounds. So the U.S. has been a difficult team to beat for Team Canada at this tournament in the knockout stages. Uh, It's a little bit different, though, because these rosters are always so wildly different every time we have one of these tournaments. We're not looking at the same group of players uh, that, you know, would have beat Canada in the knockout stages three years ago versus right now. And yeah, Connor Bedard is a factor. Absolutely. This time around, he's been must watch, you know, just looking at the text line here before we go to break, because I was talking about Lake Louise in the uh, winter classic. One note we got in here, you can't advertise in national parks, ergo nothing in Banff or Jasper would ever work. The NHL is too dependent on its ad revenue. I think that's too bad because I think it'd be beautiful. I know we saw we had the great game in Lake Tahoe, even though I think there was some issues with that game. It was too hot. The ice wasn't great. Um, I just looked at those views and thought this would be gorgeous in Calgary uh, because I love going to Banff and Jasper and it's beautiful there. Let's put a hockey game. But I understand that it's way more complicated uh, to actually put in practice versus me just thinking of it in my head. And then another note, again, this was from the World Junior, or not World Junior, excuse me, from the Winter Classic conversation we were having earlier in the show. The NHL should never try to compete with the NFL, period. And that's a great point to make. The NFL schedule on January 1st, was a big one. It was a Sunday. It was Sunday NFL, full slate, great Steelers-Ravens game. You had Vikings-Packers. It's week 17, ton of big matchups on the schedule. And so, yes, it made more sense for the NHL to have the Winter Classic on January 2nd on the Monday, even if it confused me a little bit because I wasn't sure what day it was. That was probably just my fault because it was vacation brain. But, yes, you're absolutely right. There isn't a name on this text, but, yes, that's a good flag. Uh, don't compete (laughs) don't have a winter classic game in the middle of a a massive week 17 schedule in the nfl uh we're going to go to break and then coming up next we're going to talk to ken weeb he's a contributor at sportsnet.ca we're going to get the view from winnipeg on the jets who are playing the calgary flames tonight puck drop is at six pregame goes at five with pat steiberg and peter lubardius that's all coming up next on hockey central and sports at 960 the fan 
You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Final segment of Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. I'm Haley Salvian here with you for the next little bit. And we're going to be talking with Ken Weave. He's a contributor at Sportsnet.ca, covers the Winnipeg Jets. We're going to scout the enemy, tee up this Flames Jets matchup that's coming up tonight. Puck drop at 6 o'clock pregame right here on Sports at 960 at 6 o'clock. That's with Pat Steinberg and Peter Labardius. Before all that, let's go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and welcome Ken Weeb to the show. Ken, how are you? Haley, I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Uh, Happy New Year and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks for hopping on the show. There's a lot to get into. I find this Winnipeg Jets team very interesting this season. I got to just start, though. It seems like the team has started 2023 with some good news. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers, Cole Perfetti, Nate Schmidt, they were all in regular practice jerseys on Monday. Looks like they skated at the optional morning skate today. And uh, Blake Wheeler was uh, in the 50-minute practice wearing a non-contact jersey on Monday as well. So what do we need to know about the Winnipeg Jets and the state of some of these injuries heading into this game tonight? Yeah, sure thing, Haley. Uh, none of the five guys who've been skating uh, are going to be in the lineup tonight. I think the Rick Bonus just wants to give them a couple extra days. They don't play again until Friday against the Tampa Bay Lightning, so there will be no uh, no rousing comebacks this evening in terms of those injured players. But, yeah, I mean, the Jets are an interesting team for all the reasons you mentioned and also because of the fact they basically had Nikolai Ehlers, one of their most impactful forwards or players, for only two of those first 37 games so they're certainly eager to get him back he's been out with his sports hernia he is you know inching closer to return I think probably on Friday you'll see Nate Schmidt return on the back end and you'll see Cole Perfetti probably is like a slightly ahead of Ehlers but you know Ehlers is a guy who is itching to return so I would imagine he'll be back shortly in terms of Wheeler and Sacramento line and those guys are still probably a couple more weeks so a little bit further away than the others but I mean the Jets have been playing without seven regulars so uh, if they could get three out of the three out of the seven and potentially five out of the seven back in the next two weeks, they'll be uh, they'll be able to actually thrill for sure. But yeah, they've had a nice mix of uh, guys stepping up, uh, been called up from the Manitoba Moose or picked up on waivers. But I mean, their star players have really done an excellent job of keeping them in the race for you know top spot in the Central and currently third in points percentage in the Western Conference. So it's been an interesting start to the year for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Jets are currently top 10 league-wide. They're ninth in, in points, probably a bit higher when you look at points percentage. They're they're 5-5 five and five in the last 10. They've won their last two straight games. I mean, what is working for, for this team right now, other than just maybe their star players, you know, helping despite the injuries? Or, or maybe it is that simple. Maybe it is just guys playing really well, um, and it's the guys who should be carrying them right now. What's what's working for the Jets, and I mean specifically this season too, with, with the new head coach, and this was a team that didn't change a whole lot in the offseason. That was kind of a, a topic of conversation, right, is, you know, the Jets didn't really do much to, to take a step back. They didn't add a ton of weapons. There was kind of just the change of the head coach, but this team looks much improved. So what do you make of, of the Jets lately and what seems to be working? Yeah, for sure, Haley. I think we should probably start at the top there. I know Flames fans got a yeah, that was a lot. Sorry, Ken. <laughs> they got no, no. It's good. They got a, they got a good taste of what Rick Bonus teams looked like in that matchup last year in the playoffs. that went seven full games, and they sort of used a similar. I would say it's a similar template. You know, obviously starts with a real strong structure, but I mean, elite level goaltending has been an obvious factor. But 
Uh, Rick's really been able to generate the type of buy-in in terms of their defensive zone play and structure that they haven't really had much of since the 2018 run to the conference final. I think there's been a you know much bigger commitment to you know giving up fewer high danger chances and limiting the opportunities. Obviously, Connor Hellebuck has still faced probably too many high danger chances for his coaching staff's liking, but they've improved a great deal on those fronts and their special teams are also vastly improved. Power play is a little bit hit and miss, but it's 11th right now in the league. So still in the top half, their penalty kill is in the top five or six. So the coaching staff has had a real impact, but you know, you don't get a buy-in without the players and your star players really kind of accepting what the coaching staff has asked of them. And I would say right at the top of that list would be Mark Scheifele. I mean, he was a player that, there was a ton of uncertainty around going into the offseason. He kind of raised a few eyebrows with his year-end commentary about, you know, he used the word I a few too many times for some people's liking and, you know, wasn't sure about his future and direction. And just was a guy who was really frustrated with what was kind of a lost season. And, and Mark's been excellent. Obviously, his goal-scoring capabilities have always been there. But being on pace for a 50-goal season for the first time in his career has been impressive to watch. His defensive zone commitment has been much higher and even though he hasn't been, this will be the first time he hasn't been a point per game player, at least so far in seven seasons, but his overall body of work has been much improved. And then the other stars, I mean, Josh Morrissey, the Calgary product has been just awesome on defense. I mean, he has himself in the con, you know, in the conversation among the Norris trophy candidates right now. And it's not just because of the 40, you know, 40 plus points he's been able to put up his defensive zone play. He gets the hardest matchups most nights and, He's done a nice job on a lot of fronts. But to me, I mean, it starts with Rick Bonus, but uh, their key cogs have been really impressive. And, you know, no more important player than between the pipes and Connor Hellebuck. I mean, you know, Haley, having watched Jacob Markstrom when he's on his game, uh, you know, the way that Connor Hellebuck has been this year, it makes it can it can cover up a few of the warts. And the Jets just haven't had as many warts as in previous years. And that's a, you know, a testament to the coaching staff, too, based on all the you know, man games lost. And you know, Rick Bonus has been saying all year long, you know, we don't, we, don't, we don't have excuses. We look for solutions. And you know, for the most part, I mean, they've had one stretch where they lost you know, you know, three out of four. I mean, they really have they've lost three in a row, I think, one time this year. So their consistency has been another really impressive quality in what has been a really interesting first half. I mean, I think one thing that's really interesting about this team is Connor Hellebuck, and we know how elite this guy is in the NHL. He's an excellent goalie. But one conversation I've seen a lot is is around how much credit he should be getting for the way that this Jets team um, is winning games right now, or how much credit should he have for them being, you know, one of the best teams in the West, top in the Central, you know, a top 10 team in the NHL. Is he covering up? some issues that this team has or is he just one piece of the pie like where do you stand on on how much credit Connor Hellebuck gets for this Winnipeg Jets team so far this season yeah it's definitely not a one man or one person show for that matter but I mean he is the backbone of the team I mean it's you know like I said I think Josh Morrissey would be you know, in the conversation for MVP, but the team MVP is is clear to me I mean Morrissey's been excellent but to me Connor Hellebuck is he is back to the elite of the elite status. I mean, I know that he's at the top or near the top of most, you know, you know, historically significant categories. He's also, you know, when it comes to goals saved above expected, he's right near the very top of that list as well. So he's sort of, you know, handling both sides of the coin. But I mean, the Jets aren't asking him to, you know, stand on his head for lack of a better term 
each and every night. It hasn't been just, you know, the Connor Hellebuck show. But the thing about Hellebuck, Haley, is you kind of know from watching him over the years, he's a guy who makes the, you know, makes a tough save look routine. So he doesn't always get the same level of credit he probably deserves in some areas either. So it's interesting. Like, he's been rock solid. He doesn't give up, you know, very many, or if any, you know, soft goals. And that can be such a, you know, deflator for a team. Uh, makes a lot of exceptional saves, but his positioning has just been outstanding. His rebound control has been excellent. And he's been really, you know, when he's on his game, he's very economical in terms of his movements and all the technical things that go along with being a great goaltender. But for me, he's just such a, he's not a unicorn, but he's he's becoming unicorn-like in a, in, a, in a day and age where most teams are going to more of a crease-sharing situation uh, you know, not necessarily, you know, more of a 1A or 1B. You know, Connor Hellbuck is going to be in that 62 to 66 start range, provided he stays healthy and and he'd probably like to play more. But uh, I think the one thing about, you know, Flame Sam's also quite familiar with David Riddick. Riddick has come in and done a nice job. He's had only nine starts so far, but uh, has given the Jets a chance probably, you know, to win at least seven or eight of those nine. So, uh, to me, Riddick has answered some questions on the backup front, but Hellebuck has been, you know, exceptional. But to me, I think they have made life a little bit easier on him, but he also came back very fresh and you know, they are very motivated to have a great year because, quite frankly, Connor Hellebuck's name wasn't in the discussion as being one of the best goalies in the league last year. I mean, his underlying numbers were still better than the boxcar stats, but he sort of got, you know, when they were talking about the league's best uh, you know, with the years that certain guys had, and you know, especially Shesterkin, now Hellebuck's kind of got himself back, not only in the Vesna discussion, but, I mean, as our colleague Ellie Friedman mentioned a few weeks ago, Hellebuck would be a guy, you know, he wouldn't be at the top of the heart ballot, but he would be on, you know, in the top five for you know, quite a few more ballots than many people might think for a goaltender, at least at this stage of the year. For sure. When he won the Vesna a few years ago, he was also on my heart ballot. I think that was the first time I'd actually put a goalie in my in my top five for the heart and he was he was on it and he's putting together another one of those seasons he's projected to start tonight so is Jacob Markstrom on the flame so that's a projected goalie matchup it's going to be a big one Jacob Markstrom versus Connor Hellebuck two of the best in the league when they're both on their games um all right so the Jets had their last game before 2023 so the final game of 2022 was against the Edmonton Oilers they beat the Oilers two to one uh, the Flames are coming to town tonight. This game is in Winnipeg. Ken, what kind of challenge do the Calgary Flames present for this Jets team? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Flames are a little bit more of a heavy team than the Oilers in terms of how they play, in terms of their style and their ability to get in on the forecheck. But they gave them some trouble in that game in their last and their only other meeting this year. And obviously Trevor Lewis had the shorthanded goal for the for the game winner in a night where I think the Jets were also unable to convert a five on three. But it was a really tight checking kind of game. And uh, I think that the teams match up pretty well. They've always had some fun meetings you know, dating back to before the you know, meeting in the qualifying round in the bubble, but uh, usually the intensity is pretty high. And, you know, I think the, the two teams match up pretty well. And I think too, and neither goaltender probably speak about it out loud, but you know, they, they know the other guy at the other end is, is, is considered to be one of the best uh, at his position as well. And they, they get up for that. And, I think every time you lose to a team, and you know, I know it wasn't technically the playoffs, the qualifying round. There's always a little bit of spillover and a little bit more intensity. And teams have played some fun games over the years, so I would expect the Jets. I mean, they it's an important game for them. I mean, obviously, it's an important game for the Flames too. If the Flames would win tonight, they would be only two points back of the Jets, and 
that's not important currently with where the teams stand uh, in their you know, respective divisions. But, I mean, there's a lot of teams in the wildcard chase that are kind of knocking on the door. So neither team can really afford an extended you know, losing streak or giving up points to Western Conference opponents. So I expect it's going to be a fun game. You know, there's guys on both teams that want to be playing better. I know Pierre-Luc Dubois is a guy who kind of can – he's having another great year. I didn't mention him off the open. I mean, he's been outstanding. He's over a point a game for the Jets this year, and he kind of has that kind of – annoying the opponent kind of quality that mm-hmm. uh, Daryl Sutter would appreciate if he was playing for his team. But, you know, he's a guy that you're going to notice out there because of his high level of engagement, draws a lot of penalties in addition to getting all those points too. And uh, Kyle Connor too is another guy Haley I should have mentioned. I mean, he's <laughs> two goals in the first 13 games. One was an empty netter. Uh, suddenly you look up, he had 22 points in the month of December and is, you know, tre- trending towards another, you know, 85 to 90 point season. So, I mean, he's another two more guys that have been put back together on a line. And I would expect that they'll see a lot of either Backlund or, or Lindholm this evening. Uh, I think there's a few guys in the Flames who are excited for the calendar to flip. I mean, a guy that you've covered closely and talked a lot about over the years, Andrew Mangiapani, probably looking forward to a, a fresh kind of slate of games here. And I just think it'll be a fun fun matchup and you know even too with Josh Morrissey being in that discussion I know there's some some Flames defensemen who probably feel that they warrant a little bit more consideration in terms of the kind of years that they're having whether it be Erasmus Anderson or or a guy like that and you know it's always special for a guy like Chris Tannen I mean he started his pro career here I was covering him when he was a member of the Manitoba Moose so uh, there's still an appreciative uh, segment of the fan base that probably would would be giving a a polite clapper too when they see him out in the ice uh, given you know what he's gone through over the years. Yeah, I mean, what, let's go down that road with with Chris Tanev because he's one of my favorite players to watch. He's just so solid. He's got the he's always in the right spot positionally. He's got the great stick details. You know, everyone kind of throws around the the warrior terms, which I don't always love. But this is a guy who battles and he battles hard. And, and he's the Flames are a better team with Chris Tanev on it. What's it been like to kind of track in his career and follow along from Winnipeg when he was with the Moose to now? Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, Chris is one of the guys I love to watch. I mean, he's the you know consummate pro. He always makes his partner better. I mean, just go up. again. You probably may not say it publicly, but ask Quinn Hughes much how much he misses Chris Tanev uh, these days, and he's still been able to put up some points. But I mean, he's a guy who you know would have really helped sort of guide his ability to help young players. I mean, you saw it at times last year with Oliver Shillington as well at times too. I think. Uh, he's a guy who is just, like you said, he's in the right spots always. He always leaves his partner in a better position um, when he's on the ice with him, and he's always a great little safety valve, whether it's for a D2D pass or helping to you know, cover up some of the maybe uh, errors made by maybe a defensive forward and coverage and things like that. And, you know, he's always been a guy who pretty, you know, soft-spoken guy, loves the game, but, you know, not overly talkative. He's not a, not a media junkie. He's not a guy who's needs to have his name in the paper or, or on, on the television or radio. He's never seeking the attention, but he's the kind of guy that the, the kind of glue guy the teams win with. And if you have guys like Chris Tannen around, I mean, I know Brad Treleving uh, appreciates what he brings on and off the ice. And, you know, that's one of the reasons they made the commitment to him that he did. And I mean, obviously we all saw it last year when, when Tannen was not available for a good chunk of the battle of Alberta, the, the, the terms of play uh, changed dramatically. And you know, obviously the warrior, mentality allowed him to come back in but he wasn't anywhere near full health and you need to be at full health if you're trying to contain guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl playing the way that they were in the spring so uh, he's such a great leader I mean 
I don't know that he would be the next captain, but he would certainly be a, a candidate to be the next captain of the Flames uh, because of all the reasons that we have discussed here so far. Mm-hmm, absolutely. There's there's so many different candidates when we're talking about Calgary and the captaincy. Are they even going to put a C on someone's jersey? I'm not sure, but there's probably a lot of people who are on this text line who are listening to the show live, listening to it on demand, who would say that Chris Tanev is absolutely their pick. Um, we covered a lot, Ken. This was great. Thank you so much for the time and enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, Haley. Nice to catch up. Uh, enjoy the game as well, and uh, all the best to you and yours in 2023 here. Absolutely, you as well. There goes Ken Weeb. He's a contributor at Sportsnet.ca, covering the Winnipeg Jets. He's been covering that team for a very long time. Does a great job. Always great to catch up with Ken, as he said. And that conversation was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. You can dine in, pick up, or have your game day specials delivered. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner, 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast, or call 403-248-3344. That's all the time we have on the show today. Once again, thank you so much to Ken, to Scott for joining the show. Thank you to Cam and Taylor, who make sure that the show goes on the air. Thank you so much to them. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And just a reminder, again, Flames versus Winnipeg Jets in Winnipeg tonight. Puck drop at 6 p.m. pregame at 5 o'clock with Pat Steinberg and Peter Lubardius. Excuse me. That's all coming up next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.